Hi, what the CFers? Thanks for joining me again. I'm Ingrid. Before we get started on episode four, I'm going to be just chatting about uh, some of the feedback and comments that we got following episode three, which was with mums. I just want to give another big shout out to Sophie, Kayla and Jess for sharing their story. Um, It has really resonated with people. I've got a comment here from Rachel that says, thank you for this week's episode. Definitely identifying with the loneliness feelings and the toxic positivity. Ah, the toxic positivity. (laughs) We love it so much. Um, And I've got another message here. Thank you for a great episode, guys. We have a little seven-weeker, so we're in the thrust of CF diagnosis and education. Our son was born with meconium ileus and at 28 hours old had 34 centimetres of his small intestine removed and double-barrel stoma was created. So we were the very opposite of your diagnosis with CF being flagged from day one. We spent five and a half weeks in NICU before being able to go home for 10 days before coming back last Wednesday for stoma reversal. Our son has been on Creon and sodium replacement since 11 days old. It's been a whirlwind two months, but I'm so grateful to have found a great supportive online community and your podcast. I cannot wait to follow along with your journey. Thank you. Thank you for sending these lovely comments. Um, It's really not been easy to make this podcast and working on it has meant absorbing a lot of other people's stories and and grief and so on. So it has been quite tough absorbing myself in everything CF, but I've enjoyed so much connecting with other CF parents that I've talked to in the process of this and speaking to experts because knowledge is power and it it makes you feel more comfortable for me. It is anyway. The more information I have, the safer I kind of feel talking about things. So uh, yeah, I really thank all of those who are willing to have a chat with us and share their stories. I've got another comment here from Hannah that says, I'm loving listening to these. Very tear-jerking listening to Kayla speak of her experience, as even though our experience with CF is different, I could feel her pain of retelling the story. Nice to hear others' experiences. It can often feel very lonely parenting children with CF, and I can relate to so many things said in this podcast. Thanks for sharing. So yeah, big shout out to anyone that is willing to put themselves out there and and talk about this because it's so personal sharing things about your family and and your children. So we really appreciate it. And um, everyone that's commenting, we really appreciate it too because it really helps us know that we're heading in the right direction with the stories that we're sharing. Now on to episode four, which is all about genetics and cystic fibrosis. I had a chat with Kelly Sullivan, a genetic counsellor who works at Genetic Health Services NZ in the Northern Hub. She's actually the genetic counsellor that myself and Ian met during lockdown when we had our diagnosis. So we actually met via Zoom and I was quite thankful of that actually. Um, So this is a chat recorded last year and this uh, actually explains what causes CF, what happens in your genetic counsellor meetings, I know that causes anxiety for some people and um, the options of couples wanting more children. I have to give a trigger warning to say that this podcast does discuss pregnancy termination following prenatal testing. I have also provided some links to some resources that you'll find useful to either share with friends and family um, or for your own use if you go to our website whatthecf.com forward slash blog and click on episode four and in that you will find a very useful diagram which shows how CF is passed on and um, some other useful links. So I'm going to hand over to myself in the past as this was recorded in November 2020 my chat with Kelly for episode four. Hi Kelly. Hi. (laughs) Thank you so much for taking the time to have a chat with us. 
Um, we actually met during the first lockdown via Zoom mm. when we were discussing our little one's diagnosis. Um, how have you found working remotely and Zooming people when you have to talk about such a kind of personal... I think it's had pros and cons. Like in some ways it's really nice because some people can join. Like I remember you guys not being in the same place, but both mum and dad being able to be there. And I think especially for parents of kids with CF during COVID times, not having to bring them to hospital is really nice. Um, probably even not COVID times when you've already got enough appointments on. So for people who are comfortable using Zoom technology, it's been really good. Um, I remember, I think Ian was in a cupboard or something at work. Yeah. <laughs> it seemed like he was in like the cleaning cupboard. But I was actually going to say that to you was um, like a lot of it was a relief to us to mm. not have to go in for all these appointments um, and that, you know, Zoom was an option um, just because the last place you want to go, unless you absolutely have to, is to go back to the hospital because you've had such a kind of roller coaster or and everything else that happened that actually just is quite triggering just going into the environment even though yeah your conversation was brilliant it's just the the feel, every time I go in there I get that that kind of like anxiety thing yeah. um because you sort of you're in that you know one wants to be in a hospital with your kids so you're no. like... well and when it's a place you've already got bad news you're kind of expecting you know you're just preparing for the worst aren't you hmm. yeah yeah, so we've actually kept the Zoom going now, um, even though we're still able to meet people face-to-face now. Um, we now have it as an option, and we let people choose what they would prefer. So it, it works really well, and especially for – we cover from Gisborne North in our hub in Auckland. So to be able to meet with people far away who, who don't have to wait for us to travel down to meet them, it's been really good as well. So that's something that's changed because – because of the pandemic yeah oh great so that's actually a positive that's come out of it then yeah one one positive then out of everything yeah um so just to go back could we start could you explain a little bit about how you got to your career and what a genetic counsellor is (laughs) it's a good question (laughs) you can imagine it like a dinner party or something it's no one's ever heard of a genetic counsellor before (laughs) um but basically most of us end up coming to it through doing a science undergraduate degree but some people will have done I don't know psychology or nursing or something else um and then you actually do this two-year master's course in genetic counseling so I'm trained for this one very specific job um for me it was really something I was interested in because I really loved learning about the science but I got towards the end of my science degree and I realized I was really bad at lab work I was clumsy and it wasn't as interesting to me just like mixing things in a tube as it was learning about the science um and so I started looking at what else I could do and heard about this and it just seemed like the best mix of the science side of things but also getting to work with people so Mm -hmm. it was kind of that happy medium of those two things so what's your um day-to-day life like at work then um so In New Zealand, we don't have enough people to be really specialized. So in other places in the world, you might have a genetic counselor who only works in CF or or things like that, but we see anything. So most of what we see is people with a strong family history of cancer um, who might be at risk of inheriting a gene that would put them at, I don't know, some people have heard of the the BRCA genes linked with breast cancer or things like that, but we also work 
all across the board. So any genetic condition basically can come in. Um, some of our trickier cases we'll have to review. So we're supported by clinical geneticists who are medical doctors trained in genetics. So if there's more complex cases, then we, we get their input around things. Yeah. So when um, you have a, a CF diagnosis, mm. what part of the chain are you in? Like when do you get the information to contact the family? And Yeah, so I guess as a disclaimer, I should say I'm working in Auckland Hub and there's two other hubs in New Zealand. So there's also Wellington and Christchurch. But I don't know exactly how their processes work and if they're a little bit different. But definitely for Auckland region... Typically what happens is when um, there's a new diagnosis and someone gets picked up, say, on newborn screening, or maybe they've got symptoms and so they get referred to a respiratory doctor. At the time that the diagnosis is made, typically the respiratory doctor does the testing in the parents, the genetic testing, um, and at the same time does the referral to us. And so then we would follow up um, when those results are available. To have CF, yeah, the child has to have um, two genes, two mutated genes. Yeah, so we, we all have two copies of the CF gene. It's called CFTR. And yeah, to have CF, you have to have a change in spelling in both of those genes, which stops um, the genes from working properly, basically. And you get one from each parent. Yeah, almost all the time it's one from each parent. And the majority of the time, it comes as a shock to people because you wouldn't know you're a carrier because you wouldn't necessarily have had a history of CF yeah. in your family. And that's one of the things I found has been the first question that I get from a lot of people is like, oh, didn't you know, didn't you have it in your family? Or how didn't you, mm. didn't you know that you could pass it on? It's like, no, and most of us don't. And is it one in 25 people is probably a carrier yeah definitely one in 25 people with northern european ancestry it's less common in in other ancestry groups but um northern european or ashkenazi jewish ancestry one in 25 which is one of the most common carrier things that we deal with yeah yeah, yeah so our results were orson's diagnosis came late at six months which i think is still considered a late diagnosis mm. if they missed on the hillbrook test um and but he didn't even get picked up as a carrier and i carry the um common gene the fd508 or yeah F508 delta f508 yeah yeah, yeah. That one. yeah um i carry that one so you think that would come up as him being a carrier of that mm. one um and the other one is the super rare one which is what what ian has um so with his testing we um it took quite a long time for him because they did the genetic panel testing and I think they just found that he was a carrier mm. and it went back to the doctor and the doctor was like, nah, it's still, there's too many other things going on for him to just be a carrier. Went back, so then we had to wait another like three or four weeks. Yeah. And then they found that other rare one. Um, so with that in mind, um, when, I mean, I'd done quite a lot of research because we'd had quite an unusual um Maybe not, I don't know how unusual it is, but maybe mm. not typical journey of the diagnosis because we it wasn't newborn. So we'd had, you know, pretty much mostly healthy kid for six months, but he had this persistent cough and that's what led to us finding out. Um, but because of that, I'd done lots of reading before I met you. Yeah, so with that in mind, how much do people tend to know um, when they first meet you about the genetic side of CF? 
I think most people know at least a little bit because they've already had that conversation about the genetic testing for the parents with the respiratory doctor. But it also really varies because I think we know when people are getting distressing news that they don't always take a lot of information in. So um, some people might be really prepared and really educated and have lots of specific questions um, and other people come to us and maybe kind of know about recessive inheritance but not really a lot in detail so um yeah it's different for everyone how much they know about the genetics of cf so one thing i was going to raise was which made me first want to speak to you in the podcast was mm. within the uh, facebook group that i'm part of for cfnz there was a question from somebody about what happens in the genetics meeting and expressing like the overwhelm around we've had so much happen I just can't cope with something else and mm. what are they going to say and what are we going to talk about and I just don't know I don't even know what it's about what you know that kind of thing I thought it'd be quite good to go through that meeting and what you talk about and one thing that I added to the comments was that um you know you talk about whether you want to have further children and what your options are there so I thought it'd be quite good to go over kind of how you would structure that first meeting so it takes away any mystery or fears that people have because yeah. in the scheme of thing like it's 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 actually like knowledge is power and I found the more information I got the more comfortable I am with things but maybe a lot of people aren't like that because the more information is more overwhelming and yeah. obviously I had an older baby and when you've got a newborn you're so consumed by newborn stuff that mm. I can imagine it's just like oh my head can't take any more. Um, I guess, first of all, it's really common. <laughs> Most of our appointments, people have no idea why they're there. So I, I, they're in good company, whoever's wondering and worrying about what's going to happen at genetics. But really, it's just a chat. Um, I think often the appointment gets booked in the name of the child who has CF. Um, and most parents are going to be with their child but really the appointment is more of a discussion with the parents we don't need to examine your child or poke or prod them or anything like that it's it's just a discussion about the genetic results we already have um and really what I see our piece in it is is talking about what are the implications for the wider family so um okay, well, we know these genetic results. What's it going to mean for you guys as a couple if you're having more children? Um, and what's it going to mean for, say, your brother or sister if, if they're having kids um, so that we can clarify a bit around that? Um, I think often parents have questions for me about the specific genetic changes and what that might mean for their child's future. And there's some things that we can kind of predict and there's some... You know, we might know that this combination is a lot more mild than another combination of, of mutations or pathogenic variants or whatever you want to call them. But I think sometimes parents have an expectation that we're going to be able to predict with a lot more accuracy than we can. So that would be maybe one thing for people to be aware of that we're probably not going to be able to give all the answers you want, but we can at least give you as much information as we've got. Where can people go? to kind of get some more information and I know a kind of part of it is letting go that we actually we don't know mm. because even if you had the same gene combination two people could end up being affected completely differently That's right. um but what can people do if they want to get a bit more information about their specific mutations yeah I mean talk to your genetic counselor would be a kind of a start um and they can a resource I use all the time for cf is um 
it's called CFTR2. It's a collection of data that's held by sick kids in Toronto. Um, and they sort of look at specific mutations in the CF genes. And they even have some data about this combination, how many of these children have um, pancreatic sufficiency or insufficiency, or how many of these children on average, what is their lung function compared to others? It's not perfect because it's kind of a snapshot in time and it's not always updated, um, but it's probably the best resource we have to say, okay, well, for your specific child with this combination compared to these, what does it look like? Um, and I guess it would be different if someone had a very common set of mutations together. We might have some more data about that in the medical literature or that kind of thing. Um, but usually CFTR2 is my first go-to um, to try and see this combination. And they do have, they have kind of a parent-facing section and then a healthcare professional section. So it is meant to be um, decipherable for anyone, even if they don't have a strong medical background. Yeah, I think we, um, I've had a look on that. So you type in your, your two genes mm. and then it pulls up the data. That's yeah, that's right. Yeah. Which is quite cool to know that. Um, all of our data as well would, would be on there. And so everything that, that happens would be updating that information for everyone around the world can look at that, can't they? Mm, that's right, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so we'd already had one child before Orson and then had the CF diagnosis. And our first child does not have CF, but we did ask the questions to you about what our options would be. And, you know, pretty much our options would be to go ahead and have a child naturally or... The option would be to have IVF. So could you take us through how that would work if you were talking to people about future children? Yeah, so having children naturally is definitely an option and always an option. Could you explain um, how I've got one CF and one not yeah. CF? Yeah, so um, if we think about two parents who are carriers of cystic fibrosis, again, going back to picturing their two CF genes... Um, so you can imagine they've each got two copies of the CF gene and one of each is working well and the other of each is, has got a genetic fault in it that means it's not working so well. And then when we go to have children, there's a 50-50 chance that we pass down um, which of each pair, I guess, that we pass down. So so for someone who's a carrier of CF, they have a 50-50 chance of passing down their working gene or their faulty gene to each child. It basically works out to a one in four chance that two parents who are carriers of CF would have a child who's affected by CF, and then a 50% chance that they would have a child who's a carrier, and a one in four chance that they would have a child who's not a carrier at all. And with each pregnancy it's a new chance. So it's not like just because you've had one child with CF, then your next three definitely won't have it. Mm -hmm. It's a kind of like having boys and girls. It's a 50-50 chance each time, but some families have four boys in a row and that's just the way it is. Um, and what about um, IVF? Could you go through what the options are there? Yeah, so, um, so I guess with IVF, um, the type of IVF that some parents with CF choose to use is um, called... IVF with PGD, which stands for pre-implantation genetic diagnosis. It's quite a mouthful. Um, and it's actually funded publicly here in New Zealand if you meet certain criteria, um, which is one thing that we have funding for here that isn't funded other places. So Australia doesn't have public funding for it oh, um, cool. or America or Canada. So it's something that we're quite lucky to have. 
but it also is um, something that there's a long wait for. So that's something for parents to be mindful of. There's about a two-year wait list, even if you meet the criteria in Auckland region to access it at the moment. Um, but that can shift and change quite quickly. Um, and basically what happens is you go through the process of IVF, which is where um, the man gives his sperm. The woman has to have a course of medication to stimulate her ovaries to produce lots of eggs and she has to have a little surgery to remove those eggs so much easier for the men yeah. <laughs> um, and then they get mixed in a lab so one sperm with one egg and they grow in the lab up until they're about five days old in a little test tube and then at that point we can take one or two cells out of the growing embryo and test the embryo to see if it's got cf or not and then the idea is that parents would only start a pregnancy with the embryos that don't have CF. And when you're testing for CF, is that so? Do you specify your specific gene combination for them to look for? You know, they test specifically for your. Yeah, so it's actually a really complicated bit of the process. They have to make a special test just for the couple because it's such a small amount of DNA. It's just like you know, maybe five cells. Um, and so it ends up often we need blood samples from the parents, um, but also the grandparents to be able to make this special test that is going to be accurate enough to make a diagnosis on this small number of cells. So what if you haven't got grandparents? Yeah. Around? So, so you can also maybe use a blood test from your existing child who's got CF that can help them because it's basically they're trying to track which of your uh, strings of DNA has the faulty gene on it. Mm. Um, and so if they can look at other people in the family, they can know all oh, this strand is the one with the faulty CF gene and this strand is the one without. So they need some other family members to kind of help make this special test. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's really uh, a complicated uh, but amazing process that can actually be done mm. if, if you wanted to do it. Um, what about when we're talking about extended family? Um, our experience, um, our siblings have had children already um, and aren't planning any further children. So we didn't have a sort of urgency to communicate anything with them particularly but we did get provided with a letter to pass on mm. and I think the recommendation for us was that our brothers could be tested and yep. if they weren't carriers then they wouldn't necessarily need to then pass down to their children to ask if when they were at the right age they could get tested yeah. um, so we talked about IVF and, and what you can do with the embryos before implantation to check for CF what if you're going through a natural pregnancy can you have a CF diagnosis that way yeah so you can do testing during a pregnancy and some parents choose to do that because they either don't want to wait for the um, the IVF maybe they don't meet the criteria um, for the IVF testing and also going through the IVF is also not always successful. It has a much lower success rate than I think a lot of people realize. So you can, if you felt that you definitely, as a family, didn't want to have another child affected by CF, whether that's for reasons of what you can cope with or worries about cross-contamination in terms of kids infecting each other, things like that. Um, there is the option of doing testing during a pregnancy and then based on the results of that testing, making a decision about continuing or ending the pregnancy. So that's obviously a really personal decision like any of these, but 
at the moment here in New Zealand, the earliest we can do a, a test is around kind of 11, 12 weeks of pregnancy. And it typically takes about two weeks to get results back from that. I mean, that's still amazing that you can test for uh, 12 weeks. Mm. And, and how, how is the test done? So that's a test. It's called a CVS, which stands for chorionic villus sampling, where they um, it would be under ultrasound with the specialists. And they stick a needle in and take a small sample of the placenta. Um, and the placenta is made up of the same genetics as baby usually. Um, and so we can test that for the cystic fibrosis genes, basically. Yeah. Is that the same test they do for Down syndrome? It can be. Most of the time people have heard of the test they do later on called amniocentesis. Yes, yeah, yeah. that's the one I've heard of, yeah. Um, and so that one you can do from about 16 weeks on. But sometimes if people know there's a high chance for CF and they are thinking about ending a pregnancy, not everyone, but most couples I work with just want the news as early as possible. And so they might opt for a CVS. Mm. Um, the downside of that kind of testing is because it's sticking a needle in, there is a small risk of miscarriage with it. So they mm. quote, I think it's about one in 500 risk for CVS and a one in a thousand risk for amnio at Auckland Hospital. So it's a mm. small chance compared to the one in four chance of, of a child having CF, but um, still something for parents to weigh up. Yeah. 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 I had no idea you could have get tested for it during pregnancy. And obviously now that's actually really, really useful to know. Mm. Um, I have been asked that quite a lot by a few people is, oh, if you'd known, would you have done anything? And I was like, that is an impossible thing yeah. to answer because now he's here. Of course you wouldn't. And also because Orson has quite a, a mild version. He's very healthy, touch wood. Yeah. And with the medications and how things are changing, that it's not necessarily going to be the diagnosis that you might fear it to be. Yeah. Um, and I'm actually aware of there's certain campaign groups around the world that work around um, Down syndrome because the Down syndrome tests, it's, it's almost like it's a given that if you find out that there's Down syndrome that you will terminate a pregnancy. Yeah. Um, and because of that, it's sort of raising a whole group of people that exist and can have very happy life basically yeah and who enrich other people's lives exactly um so it's a very kind of um kind of tightrope type mm. situation when you when you're talking about that kind of testing because yeah. and it's almost like do you I don't even know if I would if I had another pregnancy whether I would test yeah because I don't know if I even want to have that decision well, and, you know, have that information that then you might be sitting with your whole pregnancy if you're not ending a pregnancy and how that mm. would feel. Yeah, I definitely feel the tightrope because I feel like within my role, part of my work is to advocate for people who have genetic diseases yeah. and, and make sure that they're well looked after and getting access to new treatments and all that kind of thing. But then I'm also offering this option of possibly reducing the number of people with these genetic diseases in the world so it's yeah it is a very weird tightrope yeah. to be walking and but there's also no shame in people who do choose to have a termination and there is a whole different having children having babies is a, such a life-changing thing anyway absolutely and then having something extra to deal with you know it's it's completely personal choice and we're actually all just so lucky to have the kind of medical care and options that we have mm. in a country like New Zealand although not perfect we've got pretty good systems here and I've been really thankful for the kind of support we've had 
from the minute we got a diagnosis, like you're surrounded by this team of people mm. that that have can answer all your questions and and we've got a CF nurse who we can call whenever we want and an amazing support group on Facebook, which is really great, and CFNZ and all those people and people like yourself that that will be able to kind of unravel those complicated, more complicated ideas. Mm. And when I talk to people now, because you get your head around this genetic thing, because well, yeah. you kind of need to, I get really like, oh, God. How can you not know this? <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is so simple. Um, but when you first read it, you go through it quite a few times going, okay, and trying to explain, you know, the one in four chance. And yeah. I can see that little square diagram where it's got the people and the 50%. And that. Yeah. Part of the, what the podcast wants to do is raise awareness. So although we're there for families and people who want this information, um, I really hope that people will say to grandparents or aunts and uncles or nieces and nephews to listen to this mm. because then it takes the pressure off the family to do it yeah because, you don't have to be the messenger yeah, yeah. Because you end up having to be an expert at everything um, and answer all these questions which is exhausting mm. so actually I'm just going to gather all of the questions and and let people be able to share this to whoever they want so if anyone's listening to the podcast who doesn't have a CF diagnosis in the family but this podcast has made them think, oh, what if I'm a CF carrier? What would they do? Um, so in New Zealand, genetic testing is funded if you have a family history. But if you don't, you do have the option of paying privately um, to have what's called a preconceptual carrier screen. So that would um, do testing for the commonest mutations in, C- in the CF gene. Um, but also possibly if you wanted to, you could screen for lots of other recessive conditions. Um, but that would be privately paid. You could go through private genetic counselors or fertility clinics to access that if you wanted to. Um, and the other question I had was, so um, like I said, with our families, is it wasn't so much of a concern, um, but they have actually got children. And if it's found that our brothers are carriers, um, what would be the advice to them? Do they uh, approach their children when their children are a, uh, appropriate age or yeah it's a good question I think it ends up being a parental decision about when they want to talk about it or how they want to talk about it um, but we would definitely suggest that that information is available for those kids when they're adults and, and planning their own families so some parents would introduce that quite young to try and explain what's going on to the cousin or things like that um, that this is something that can run in families and you can have a test for it when you're older. Um, and more and more testing for carrier status for CF in the public system is um, being done by GPs. So probably those children when they're 18 or older could just go to their GP and get a test. They may decide to wait until they're actually with a partner who they're planning a pregnancy with because really... Um, then being if they a carrier find, doesn't necessarily yeah, mean anything exactly yeah. if they find out they're a carrier they're going to want to test the partner anyway so yeah hmm. final question for you hmm. so we ask everyone on the podcast what's your what the cf moment or wtcf moment um and this is a moment around cystic fibrosis that has kind of um had an impact on you so it can be good bad or um just something that maybe was a career um highlight or anything that's interested you with cf oh i don't i feel so like broad. i've been thinking about what's my what the cf moment and i'm not i'm not really sure but i think um 
maybe just over my recent memory, we've just had a lot of cases through that are um, the more mild forms of cystic fibrosis. So where someone has two faulty genes, but they're not as um, severely impacted as say like a Delta 508 or, or other types of gene changes. And so um, I guess just knowing that CF as a broad term is not always the same for everyone, which I've known. Um, but yeah, it's just been really driven home with a few cases I've had this year where it's so variable and the, yeah, the diagnosis and expectations can be different for everyone. Mm. Mm. Well, on that bombshell. <laughs> um, thank you so much, Kelly, for joining us on What the CF Assistic Fibrosis podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been lovely to have another chat with you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks. Bye. bye. There you go. Thank you so much to Kelly Sullivan. Big shout out to Kelly, who is currently on maternity leave as she was expecting twins at the time of the interview. So all the best to Kelly. If you would like to follow us on social media, you can find us on Facebook forward slash what the CF pod. You can find us on Instagram, what the CF pod. Find us on our own website, whatthecf.com. And if you find us on any of your listening platforms, please do rate, review, subscribe, follow, share, all the usual things. Any reviews and ratings that we get will help other people find the podcast. So please do that. Also, please keep in touch with us. Send us messages. You can leave us voice messages on Anchor. If you use the Anchor app to listen to podcasts, you can leave us a, a voice message and we can play that in the podcast if you wish us to share it. Otherwise, get in touch with us in the usual ways uh, via uh, direct messages on social media or you can email us wtcfpod at gmail.com we'll see you in a couple of weeks